Welcome back to Golden Great, telling Asian American stories from the Gold Rush to the Gold Open. Hello and welcome to Golden Great. I'm Adrian Chen, your podcast interview producer here at Collab SF, and this is a show about expressing the experiences, stories, and narratives of the AAPI community told by the Collaboration SF team. Speaking of team, I'm here with a new voice, Samia Manga. Hi, everyone. I'm super excited to do this episode. Samia has been with Collab for a while, and she's been doing amazing work as the marketing co-lead and staff writer for Collab SF. And I've been wanting to do an interview for a while for Golden Great, so I'm so, so excited to be here finally, especially to be here with my very good friend, Raghav Ravi, who is a filmmaker from Los Angeles. We hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, everyone, I'm Samia, and today we have Raghav Ravi here. He's a filmmaker based in Los Angeles. Raghav, do you want to give a quick introduction of who you are, what you do? Yeah, sure. My name is Raghav. I I grew up for the most part in the Bay Area, and I went to uh, high school in Pleasanton, California. And I went to college in San Jose State and got a degree in radio, television, film. And I've always been into the arts. I've always been into whether it be singing, dancing, or or drawing, or performing, um, or even being behind the camera. I've always had a knack and direction for being in that kind of space. And yeah, now um, I've been living in LA for about a year now, and I work as a cinematographer, videographer, photographer, and uh, director sometimes. And the goal here is I love telling human stories, stories of um, genuine connection and uh, what makes us, you know, what makes us human, what defines our relationships with one another. But I also like to have fun and, and kind of get into the comedy space, get into the music video space. And I'm still exploring what I like and what my whole shtick is. So thank you guys for having me on. Raghav and I go way back, pretty much. We've known each other for a while. We're family friends. So our families have known each other for a while. And I think we have a lot of mutual friends as well um, within the Bay Area. So we definitely, Raghav, you you know me when I was like tiny. Yeah, I don't know exactly the year that we met, but I would think I was probably in like middle school and you were this like, annoying little elementary school brat so I I also I remember your older brother and I remember you know yeah we we were all kids you know like I may have been annoying but I was also memorable you were memorable and and you you grew up to be a fine mature young lady (laughs) yeah I feel like we have a lot of similarities and that we both went to high school in Pleasanton and we both go to San Jose State and I originally was majoring in cinema so this is like, we have so many weird similarities, yeah. but what was it like, like choosing film based in the South Asian community in the Bay Area? Cause I know for me, choosing journalism was like a whole thing of facing the South Asian community here. So what was that like for you? Yeah, for sure. For me growing up, I was always enamored by the film industry, both in America, as well as in India. Um, as you guys might know, the Film industry in India is massive and it's divided into each different state as well. So I'm coming from, my family comes from the state of Tamil Nadu. And so the film industry there 
is, uh, I guess, labeled as Hollywood. Um, you might not know that, but basically it's separate from Bollywood, different language, different artists and technicians. And so growing up, I watched a lot of South Indian summer films and that that's really what got me into filmmaking. And I want my, the first career I wanted to do was acting because of all the hype in those movies. And then, you know, growing up in America, I also found a love for films here. And so in high school, when it came time, people always ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that's like kind of the most frustrating question for me, because on one end, I don't want to be defined by the one thing that I choose to do for the rest of my life, because, you know, we have such a vast, you know, we have such a vast life and we might as well do as many things as we can that make us happy. But I didn't face a lot of the struggles of a lot of kids, a lot of South Asians in the Bay Area where they need to require, uh, you know, acquire their parents' approval and support. It was almost, I've always had it. And so that's what really gave me the foundation I needed to continue doing what I wanted to do. So I got into San Jose State actually with a degree in communication and I had a film minor. And then I was like, what am I going to do with the communication minor? So then I just got rid of it. And I just ended up getting a film major. Um, but I know growing up, there's a lot of South Asian groups and cliques in the, the Bay Area where there's anytime you go to a family event, anytime you go to a function, there's always going to be aunties and uncles just kind of uh, gossiping about each other's kids. And they're always asking, what's their GPA? What are they going to do in their life? What's their major? And anytime that it was mentioned that I was doing film or something creative, it was always like, ooh, okay, where's the, where's the trajectory there? Like, what are you going to achieve? Or like, you know, what kind of scope is there? And that's, those are the kind of questions I would always get is what's your end goal? You know, how much do you end up, how, how much do you see yourself making at the end of the day? And I was a high schooler and, or I was, you know, early in college and I, you don't have those kind of answers at that age. All you're trying to do is build a foundation and having immigrant parents that were in the middle of the 80s 90s when they built their career and that was a technological digital boom they were forced to find careers in software and computer science and um, fortunately for us we were born into an era in America in the Bay Area where we had the option of choosing something else our, parent, our parents gave us a life where we could kind of pick any path because our basic necessities were taken care of and we can choose to do, you know, medicine or arts or um, psychology or whatever, you know? And so, but still being in these communities and having these questions asked, it was pretty difficult, especially on my parents to be like, to, to answer these aunties and uncles and be like, hey, you know, we're going to let him do what he wants. He's going to figure it out, even though they don't know if I'm going to figure it out. They're just putting their blind faith in me saying, hey, we hope you do well. You know, we hope you do well and uh, whatever you need will support you. And so in that way, my parents were able to support me by, um, you know, supporting my decision to major in film and support me when I asked for a camera and they provided me, they, they gifted me a camera for one of my graduation on my birthday, you know? And, and these kind of resources, I would not have gotten if I didn't have supportive parents. And um, my experience was definitely a positive one compared to a lot of people, but 
definitely there's that or there's that aura and that sense of is this going to be a stable field for you will you be able to support your family will you be able to support yourself um but i think having been in this field for a few years now i'm just really grateful to have met the people that i've had and uh the, the projects that i've gotten to work on and I think what it comes down to is having the faith that if you continue to put the work in and you continue to uh, find different places to explore and experiment and grow, my faith is that if I just trust the process and have patience, I'm gonna be better than where I was a year ago. And in a year from now, I'm gonna be better than where I am now. What you said about you know immigrant parents, there's this one quote by Hassan Minaj I really like, where he's like, my parents, you know, they had to survive, but I'm trying to live. And I think that's so true for kids of immigrant parents is like, we are here now, we're, we have the opportunity to, you know, take the idea that my, our parents had to survive and take that and actually like do what we want with it. Um, it's really interesting though, because my parents wanted me to be a lawyer and they were like dead set on it. They were like, Samia, you're going to do model UN, you're going to do debate. And I hated every minute of it. I would go to model UN and I would just sit there and be quiet. I'd be like, I, I can't solve any world issues, but I definitely remember having the judgmental aunties and their faces would just like completely change. when I told them I was doing cinema. Um, I mean, when I remember at a party, when you came up to me and you're like, Hey, I'm really interested <laughs> in writing scripts. And I was like, hell yeah <laughs> you know so that was refreshing yeah it's like finding a unicorn you know like someone <laughs> a south asian doing something creative it's so rare i will say the one response that i consistently got throughout with all the aunties and uncles anytime i said oh i'm doing photography or i do film they would say oh very different and i'd be like yeah <laughs> there's nothing else they can say <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this is something we can't talk about. Um, yeah, but my dad eventually warmed up to me doing cinema. And then I got to spend a week in LA at a screenwriting boot camp. Um, and that was really great. And then, you know, I had a very similar thing where I was doing cinema with like a minor in journalism. And then I was like, journalism's, journalism's it. And so I really, really like it. But I also love, you know, all aspects of journalism, including the videos and the documentaries. And, you know, that's, that's awesome kind of going into more of your like filmography like you have you've done so much and it's awesome I I think one of the, my favorite things you've done is your in a Muzz hands series where you filmed your mom cooking that was just so incredible so what was it like filming the making of food from your culture and where did you get that idea from thanks Samia I I actually don't think I've done a lot because I compare myself to my peers and, and the people before me. And so to hear that you think I've done a lot is like, okay, that's cool that someone thinks I've done a lot. But um, I thank you. Yeah, I, I'm, I really do love that series that I got to work on. It was a quarantine project. I think when I think about my mom's cooking, I also think about how will I be able to retain all of this cooking knowledge and all of these dishes and and keep it for the rest of my life and kind of retain it for you know the coming years for whoever else I want to show these dishes to it's not like I can always rely on my mom to make these exact dishes and I also started seeing the way that she cooks as a form it's like a science you know cooking is a science and it's an art form so to watch her cook it was kind of magical and I just thought 
what better way to spend time with my mom than to be in the kitchen with her and watch her cook and learn to cook these dishes and to capture the essence of that and see what I can do by just stitching something together that can capture a mood of what I'm feeling and what it feels like to be at home with my mom as she's cooking this stuff. So what are you making today? Whenever I go to Tirupati, I like I eat vadakari there. My dad uh, take me to the restaurant. Okay, let's go eat vadakari, idli vadakari. Okay, I love it. And then I start after I started making it. I love to eat it. I think often we take the immigrant women and like women in South Asia generally for granted for the amount of effort they put into their cooking and their dishes and into making sure that we, you know, get some of the culture. I've also noticed you, your other work when you were documenting like your India video journal. Um, I, I love the way you document in that India. It's like a dreamlike state, which I feel like when I go to India, it's like a dream for me. Like it's just so out of reality that it's just so like weird to see it and you filmed it exactly how it feels which is amazing um how does like filming india like that change the way you view your own culture or feel about it yeah good question i mean when i was in india that trip especially was me finishing up my job at the time which was traveling around america and i hadn't gone to india for about five years and i didn't know any of my second cousins and i didn't I hadn't seen my grandparents in person for five years. And so that's when I was like, you know, let me, I want to take this solo trip to go visit these people and reconnect with where my parents grew up. And um, I, had also, I had also just been thinking about what was their life like um, when they built their life's foundations before they came to America. And so I had some free time and I was a freelancer at the time. So I told, I just told my parents, I think I want to go to India. And, and I booked a one-way ticket. Um, and so I just took a one-way ticket to India and I didn't know when I would be coming back. I just was like, I want to go, I want to, you know, spend time with these people, but I also want to work, see if I can work in the film industry there with people that I, cinematographers that I look up to there. Um, and so definitely like getting there and seeing it was definitely a little jarring and scary for the first week or so. I, I will say the entire thing felt like an out-of-body experience. And then when I came back, I was having an out-of-body experience in America because, because the two worlds are so different. And I, when I was there, I had spent a lot of time thinking about what kind of person would I have been if I had grown up there? And then what kind of person I ended up becoming because I grew up in the Bay Area and what I had gained, what I had lost um, in that process. But I ended up spending about two and a half months there. And I, I just wanted to see like, you know, organically, naturally, what my day-to-day -day would look like in India as a young adult, alone in India, not, not with my parents and not as a tourist for the first time. I uh, DM'd an in a cinematographer on Instagram and I was like, hey man, I love your work. Can I try to work with you at some point? Because I just want to see how you do things and I, I just love the stuff you do. And this was a year before I went and we had just kind of messaged back and forth and commented on each other's stuff. So when I came, I ended up getting to meet, I, I got to meet him and his name is Shreyas Krishna. And I got to meet him and I got to, you know, talk to him. And he was like, Raghav, what are you, what are you actually looking for here? And I was like, 
honestly, I'm just trying to spend time here and reconnect with my roots and my ancestors and uh, try to get an idea of what film is like here and what the dynamic is like. And I want to see if I can work with you guys and just be on your team. And he's like, okay, well, I can't really offer you much because, you know, there's not a lot of money around here and I can't, you know, you can't expect good pay, but there's a spot open in our next schedule for this shoot in Hyderabad and you can hop on and spend time and, and be on the shoot with us. And that was like incredible. Like I got that opportunity because I got to DM, I got DM uh, someone I look up to on Instagram and I was able to work on a 10 day shoot with him. So when you watch my India video journal, there's a, it, it's mostly faces is if you, if, if you watch it, it's mostly just people. You see a lot of my second cousins, you see a lot of my aunts and uncles, my grandparents. And then you, and then I think the thing that really enamored me was the connect to nature in daily life there, you know, um, nature is prevalent throughout in the city and in the village. And there's going to be animals any, anywhere you walk. There's going to be random trees or bushes or things growing anywhere. And because the city that I was primarily staying in, Chennai, in South India, is uh, a coastal city. So I was also close to the beach. So I got to see a lot of sunrises and sunsets. And, and in a way, I just felt a lot closer to nature and I felt a greater presence of divinity in the day-to-day -day, um, just because of that high, that presence of nature everywhere so it was just surreal um, to be able to see a different lifestyle see the different ways that people look at the smaller things in life um, obviously there's still drama there's still politics there's still corruption um, and there's a lot of you know danger dangerous things that uh you don't have here it's much safer here but um yeah i just got to see a different innocent side of people um very different and i got to come back to america with a new way of looking at people in a different country like that and the way that i interact with people here yeah i think you know a similar thing happened to me when i went to india i went to dharmshala which is a hill station um, and that's where the Dalai Lama is. And I don't know if it was because I knew the Dalai Lama was there, but I just like walked in and it was just like a different feeling. It was like a different atmosphere. I definitely noticed humanity more and I also appreciated it more. Um, and just the, the little ways that people found joy in India, because, you know, life in India is, is much more difficult and different than it is here, but the ways they would still find those like little pockets of happiness. And I remember coming back and I wrote about our driver in Dharamshala. His name was Bublu. I still remember his name. Um, and I remember writing about him because he was just so sweet. He would show us around his village um, and he just found so much joy in taking us around. Um, so I definitely feel like you filmed India in that way. That was really poetic and beautiful to see. The film you shot, was that Bhavali, the the TV show in India? Yeah, I, I mean, so I had worked on a 10-day shooting schedule for Bahubali, the prequel web series, you know. It's just the, the, the film dynamic. I was at Ramoji Film City in Hyderabad, which is essentially India's Universal Studios, and they have, like, big lots and stuff. But it was, like, a 100-person crew. There's catering and, like, trailers and stuff, but it was so unorganized, and there's, like, people running everywhere. And, and there's a lot of, like... Um, you know, underpaid workers, there's a lot of 
I actually, the kid that I had been working with very closely, his name is Bublu too. And so I just found a really unique relationship with this young kid who was in his teens, you know, younger than 18 and he was working on this film set. And of course he's being underpaid, but, and I don't, I don't know if he was going to school, but um, he was the one that uh, knew sufficient amount of English. So he was learning English from me and I was learning Hindi from him. And we were kind of like running around this set and um, doing stuff together. So that was very unique. That's just how I see India generally is just like chaos. Because as soon as you get there, it's like, there's no like street divisions. There's just like, it's just so chaotic. So I definitely see that. Um, You've also done like in America, I guess, you've done a lot of like experimental films. Like I, I watched your White white Noise short film, which was really interesting and different. And I, I thought that was really unique. And then also like your short films, um, like Serenity and Personal Short. So what are, are the differences between filming short films versus filming like music videos versus working on a set in India? Um, I think it really changes based on the people that you work with and the vision that they have for the projects. It changes based on the kind of pre-production that you put into your projects. So out of all the films and projects that you named, Serenity Now is probably the oldest one that I've done. And so that was where I was a lot more, um, I was younger and I was still learning more about how to be a cinematographer and I'm still learning a lot. You know, I still feel like a beginner, but um, I think the main difference is, you know, white noise was very experimental and yeah, we did a storyboard for it and yeah, we did a lot of planning, but that director specifically had a vision for what he wanted the audience to feel. So it was experimental and we were sort of coming up with shots on the spot, but we knew what we wanted the audience to feel. Whereas the other projects like Serenity Now and Impersonal. Impersonal was my biggest short so far in terms of production value. And in that, I learned a lot about crowdfunding and I learned a lot about preparing and having pre-production for a short, whether it be discussing equipment, uh, insurance, building a crew and finding locations, securing locations. And uh, that was probably the most I had put in and the most that I had learned as a cinematographer. Um, and the India project, when I worked on the Bahubali web series, that was a project that Shreyas had brought me onto. And I was on his cinematography team and I was the last assistant. And here, the team dynamics are much more different than they are there. I think there, you hire a separate focus puller for your project and you don't have the focus puller on your cinematography team. In your cinematography team, you have the cinematographer his associate, his or her associates and the assistants, and they will all manage and communicate to the lighting team and to the camera team, like the team that operates the camera itself. They were kind of surprised when I had mentioned that I had, in America, I would operate the camera or I would put pull focus sometimes or I would handle the lenses on my own because here there's no concept of hiring a separate team to handle, handle your film equipment. I think the thing there is, because the film equipment, the camera, the lenses are so expensive and so valuable, they need to make sure that they're hiring professionals that are trained to handle this gear. Whereas here you are training to handle the gear. So you're cutting down on crew members and you're handling the gear yourself. 
And if you mess up and you damage it, then you're liable or you have insurance. So for a 10 day film shoot, it took me about four or five days to get comfortable and to know what my responsibilities were and how to properly be efficient with the workload and what they needed. But by the end of it, it was fun. Um, it was just that majority of the crew spoke Hindi or English. And a lot of the people that I interacted with only spoke Hindi. So me being a person that only knew English and Thummer, I was struggling, but I ended up figuring out how to communicate without the barrier of language and ended up making some friends there. So yeah, a lot of differences, a lot of differences in the project. So I guess it just depends on the crew and the vision and the project. Yeah. Did working on that film set make you look at Bollywood films differently or the way Bollywood or Tollywood films kind of depict the culture? Because I remember I watched this um, behind the scenes video about how Ye Jamani Hadivani was made, which was like my favorite movie. Um, and it was just so interesting. And it definitely made me when I watched that movie again, it made me like rethink the way I saw that film. So did working on that film set, did it change the way you view films or maybe like watched those films um, from different cultures and just like think more about, oh. Yeah, I guess so. Because up until done? that point I had worked on smaller short films and music videos in America. And now whenever I see big films that come out from India, I get into that perspective of, okay, Yes, that crew that I worked with was very unorganized. How might this crew look like? What what would those behind the scenes look like? Um, you know, in India, uh, it depends on where you're shooting, but, you know, in, it, it's not necessarily, you won't get the same kind of pre-production that you get here. You know, there it's, uh, it's kind of like ragtag and last minute uh, decisions, last minute bookings and schedulings and like putting things together. The cinematographer of that project actually did a podcast where he mentioned he shot his last film half in India, half in the UK, and he learned a lot about pre-production in the UK and, and how he had to kind of uh, plan ahead and things like that. So I do start thinking about, um, you know, how, how they may have done the scene or how they may have had to plan the project. And I'm sure uh, even the difference between Bollywood and and any South Indi South Asian uh, South Indian projects are very different too, just because of the nature of the uh, varying industries. Yeah, there's so many cultures within India, and I think people forget that, and they just kind of view Indian filmmaking as only Bollywood. But there are so many facets that South Asians exist in, and there's so many ways to depict them. And I think that's even shown in like American representation in media. You know, we have like, we have, we have representation a little bit more than we did before, but it still doesn't feel like enough because there are just so many ways we could show South Asian cultures because there's so many of them. Um, and I think like Never Have I Ever or like Riz Ahmed's, you know, Sound of Metal and him being nominated for an Oscar. And there are just so many more that are just kind of breaking boundaries but it still never feels like enough so what inspires you or what excites you about the South Asian representation or what do you wish you saw more within South Asian representation in America um, I think yeah like you mentioned the representation that we're getting right now is really unique and refreshing to see whether it be through Master of None or Never Have I Ever you know when I first saw Master of None I saw like my language being spoken on a Netflix show for the first time. And I was like, I like freaked out, you know, like I showed my parents and they freaked out. So 
um, yeah, it's, it's refreshing and it's nice that we're, you know, getting representation in varying different ways. Same goes for East Asian, you know, we have um, originally there was just this generalization of every Asian person is Chinese, but now we're getting literally Minari, which is a half Korean movie, half American movie. And that was incredible. So I'm, I'm glad we're getting different, you know, uh, representation for the different uh, minority groups from these uh, Asian countries. Um, and I'm, I, I'm sure that as it increases, as we go throughout the years, it'll just like, um, you know, more of this will be produced. Um, and people like us, you know, kids of this generation of, that are part of the diaspora are becoming filmmakers and artists and they're putting their own voices, whether it be Indian American or Pakistani American or Korean American, you know, they're adding their own twist and they're uh, using their voices to speak about their dual lives in, from, from both sides of their identity. Um, so I, I guess I have faith in the way that things are going. So I, I, I'm not really too worried about um, getting the representation and, and having it go that direction because I think it's kind of inevitable that we will end up seeing more and more representation America is becoming, or at least California is becoming more and more mixed. And uh, there's more and more opportunity. I mean, whether it's out of necessity for return on investment by the higher ups and they're like, oh, rep representation is the new thing. Let's, let's make it happen. Yeah, that could be like their selfish reasons for doing it. But the fact is we're still getting representation. And at some point, people in our generation that have a more uh, intentional and pure mindset of bringing representation onto the screen is gonna end up getting to where it needs to be. And I think the right people will end up being in the right places and we'll see more and more of our voices uh, being heard in American media. Yeah, I, I definitely look forward to that day because I think even in journalism, newsrooms are very white and male dominated and there is more diversity going on, but there are still so many issues and it's really hard to break through. So I think just kind of, I hope that this representation eventually leads to more openness to let other diverse people into the room and into, you know, like the, like just having more say in what gets on screen. Um, so what, I guess like what shows or movies have inspired you recently? That's always like a hard question. I feel like you're putting me on the spot, but um, I mean, I will always reference back the person that I worked with in India. His name is Shreyas Krishna. I wouldn't say like the directorial, like the, the way that the films were directed inspired me, but it's more so the way that he looks at his cinematography inspire me. So, um, you know, his, his newest film, Jagamit Tandiram came out on Netflix last week. And if you're looking to study cinematography like that's I, I, I like the cinematography in that film and I think he's gonna make it big um, and then I'm always you know I was blown away by Minari I told myself after watching that film that if and when I end up shooting shooting slash directing a film that's that's like the kind of uh, vibe energy or story that I want to be telling that's the kind of way that I want to affect people through my work is is be able to have uh, percentage of the film be spoken through my own mother language and still tell a story that touches people. Um, you know, uh, 
things, stories like Rami on, on uh, I think it's Hulu. Rami touched me a lot because it's a flawed character that is dealing with two sides of his identity, trying to uh, make up for it and become and, and find more of it within himself. And he ends up messing up and finding more of himself in the, in, in society and in, in, in the people around him. So I think character driven stories really inspire me um, like Minari and Rami and uh, Master of None too. And um, I could probably find more references for you. I can't really think of any, but I think um, also another film that I don't really find it cinematography insp inspiration from, but it touches on a lot of topics that I would want to bring to a more grounded uh, level is Waking Life by Richard Linklater. That's a very experimental film and it was just rotoscope, you know, but if you watch it, you'll just think, oh, this is someone's idea on an acid trip, but you sit down and you listen to it. It's, they're, they're having real conversations about the nature of human relationships and the nature of our life itself and uh, how we should be kind of treating one another. Um, and it has just some weird parts and life is weird and life has these like really messed up moments. So I also like to watch that or try to watch that once a year so I can pull from it and see if I can put that into any kind of films. I, I just want to have interesting conversations, you know? Yeah, I think that we are finally getting films that are starting really, really interesting dialogues. Um, one of my favorites right now is We Are Lady Parks, which is about like five Muslim women who start a punk rock band and it's on Peacock and it's the most amazing. That's cool. It's so cool. And it's, it's nothing like I've ever seen. And they have the greatest songs. One of their songs is called... Um, Voldemort under my hijab and it's just like this like super badass song and I just like I think that kind of stuff makes me so excited about the future of representation so I also wanted to ask you about Flood which I think you won a award for right at the Toronto Film Festival yeah it was a Toronto uh, Toronto LGBT Film Festival um, in 2020 yeah so Flood was a film I worked on while I was traveling around the country for uh, my old job at Campus Movie Fest. And we were staying in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We were wrapping up with our job at the time. And we wanted to work on a project together where we could highlight the things we wanted to work on um, in terms of our craft. And my friend Haley had just come out at the time and she wrote this script and she asked me to shoot it. Our other team member's son, was also working with us as uh, helping with anything and everything on the set and also helping with the edit of it. And so in a two month time span, oh, maybe not even two months, a month, we did you know, pre-production within a few weeks. We found casting in Boston and we shot probably 90% of it within you know, a few weeks. And then we ended up having to wait a whole year to finish the drowning portions in a lake because we shot most of it during winter in Boston and we didn't want to drown our actress in freezing water. And so we ended up shooting the lake portion where she's drowning and gasping for air in Atlanta the next summer. Um, so that was really interesting. And the film is filled with uh, the pressure of what it feels like to be um, queer and having uh, parents that are uh, very orthodox, religious, and um, what it feels like to be trying to gasp for air and, and 
find your true self within all that. Yeah, I definitely really enjoyed that depiction of, you know, being underwater, feeling like you can't breathe, like you're suffocating, and then finally, you know, getting to live your truth, coming up for air, um, but still feeling like that water pressure. And I thought that was a really poetic way to say something like that. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that in terms of their identities generally. And I think, you know, I think it's a really meaningful way to show that. So Flood was one of my favorites from you. So that was, that was really cool. Um, yeah, I, I have to shout out my friend Haley for that, for telling her truth mm-hmm. and for having the vision to use that metaphor and to use a metaphor of being baptized and being drowned as a yeah. as a way to depict that. And because of the story that she wrote and her trusting me with that vision, uh, we were blessed and lucky to be able to win a cinematography award for that in Toronto. So yeah, very grateful. Congrats. congrats on that um to just I guess end off um there's something that we usually end our golden great podcast episodes with um what is one thing or person that is golden great in your life right now I think my brother my brother is golden great I think uh sibling relationships are always pretty important um and you know this is someone that is more along the same um, page or same age and um, can see in the same perspective and so I can go to him for anything and uh, I guess just yeah respect respect your relationship with the siblings and even if it's you know not in the best place just know that they're going to be in your life whether you like it or not so you might as well deal with it and go through it together shout out to the parents shout out to Seema we're going to keep that in and Seema's going to scream um <laughs> If you want to say your brother's name, I'll just, say, I'll just say everyone. Shout out to Viggy, shout out to Kamala and Ravi. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay, once again, thank you so much for your sitting down with us to chat with your busy schedule. Where can our audience connect with you or see more of your work? So, Twitter, IG, website. No, I just want to say, you know, thanks for providing a platform where you get people to provide their voices and tell interesting stories or provide a space where others can maybe learn or maybe just hear an interesting excerpt from my life. And um, hopefully I get to meet you guys in person someday and maybe even meet other creatives that I can learn from. So thank you for having me. You can find me on IG um, if you want to just see my life. Raggedy Rags, if you want to see my work, Raga Ravi Film, and then my website's ragavravi.com. Uh, hit me up, let's hang, and let's talk. So that was our conversation with Raga Ravi. I hope you enjoyed that peek into a South Asian filmmaker's way of capturing culture. Be sure to follow him everywhere. So, Adrian, what did you learn about capturing culture? I love the way Raghav talks about his thought process of capturing the human experience through photo and film. And it's just super humanizing to hear his uh, Indian and American experiences come together through his work. I definitely feel very similar. We want to hear how you capture culture. So be sure to tell us by tagging us at CollabSF and the hashtag golden great on Instagram and Twitter. Yes, definitely send questions, comments, and other episode ideas our way to goldandgreat at collaboration.org. Collaboration is spelled with a K. 
send this episode to a friend who might enjoy or get something out of this conversation. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on any podcast platform to help more folks find the show. This episode was mixed and edited by Sophia Yu. Our interview producer is myself, Adrian Chen. Our supervising producer is Long Vo. And our executive producer is Josh Ko. Our beautiful theme song was composed by Robert Gunn. You can learn more about Bobby's work at bobbygummusic.com. I'm Adrian. I'm Samia. And we'll see you soon with more stories of the golden great. Thanks for listening. <laughs>